You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Lynn, and Annette, Michaela, and Jonathan, dear saints of God, Jesus knows that you cannot save yourself. This is why he was born. This is why he lived. It's why he died. It's why he's going to Jerusalem to be mocked and beaten and abused and shamefully treated and spit upon and flogged and killed because you cannot save yourself. So he will save you. He will redeem you. He will take your place under the wrath of God that you yourself deserve so that He can give you His place of blessedness before the face of our Father in heaven. See, Jesus knows not only can you not save yourself, Jesus also knows what you deserve for your sin. What I deserve. Hell. Eternal separation from God and His goodness. A pouring out of the anger of God on your head. But Jesus steps in and He says, I'll take it instead. This is why Jesus must go to Jerusalem. And this is why Jesus in the text is telling His disciples and telling us that He must go to Jerusalem. The the text gives us this. Jesus preparing His disciples for what's to come. His trial, His crucifixion, His death, His burial. But look, they don't understand what He's telling them. In fact, three times it says in the text, they didn't understand what He was telling them. They didn't know what He was talking about. They couldn't understand it. In the Greek, it's even more emphatic. uh, Emphatic on top of emphatic. It says, they kept on not understanding Him. (laughs) The disciples, it seems, were expecting a different kind of Messiah, a different kind of Savior. There was a great expectation at this time amongst the Jews in Israel that the Messiah would come and throw off the oppressive Roman rule. They were looking for a Messiah who would sit on the throne of David in the rebuilt temple or the rebuilt, uh, uh, the rebuilt castle there, the rebuilt house of David that this Messiah would extend the kingdom like Solomon, that this Messiah would bring about a golden age for Israel and all the people born from Abraham. The people of Israel thought that the biggest problem, their biggest problems, were their political problems and their economic problems. And they were hoping and praying for a political and an economic Savior. Now, I'm not 100% sure if the disciples, in fact, had these same expectations. But these were in the air. And they would have been tempted by them. Remember how the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and asks that her sons can sit on Jesus' right hand and on His left when He comes into their kingdom? This is the political kind of thinking, uh, hoping that Jesus would be an earthly king. And, by the way, we're tempted by the same thing today. We see the markets going up and down. We worry over our bank account. 
We watch the violence erupting in other countries and we have plenty of our own political troubles at home and we're tempted to think that these are our real problems. These are what we need saving from. But Jesus here in the text is telling us differently that He must go to Jerusalem to be mocked and flogged and spit upon and crucified. And we know if this is the case, if Jesus goes to Jerusalem not to be lifted up on a throne but rather to be lifted up on the cross, if this is the case, then we know that our real trouble is in fact with God Himself because of our sin. And that our salvation is going to look quite a bit different than we expected. In fact, quite a bit different than anybody expected it. Your your salvation is a man. It's beaten to a pulp. Nailed to a crossbeam. And this means that your biggest problem is your sin. That you've earned God's wrath. That you cannot save yourself. Remember, Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that you cannot save yourself. And Jesus knows that the disciples cannot save themselves. But the disciples don't yet, don't yet know it. Which is why this text is so wonderful in contrasting Jesus' promise that he must go to Jerusalem with the healing of the blind man, blind Bartimaeus, who's there on the side of the road begging for help. Just as soon after the disciples, that Luke tells us that the disciples had no idea what Jesus is talking about, were introduced to this Bartimaeus who on the side of the road hears a crowd coming and says, what is the crowd? And they answer and say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he begins to pray and cry out without ceasing, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And even as Jesus gets closer and the crowds are embarrassed by him and they try to try to make him be quiet, he cries out all the louder, Lord, have mercy on me. Do you see this contrast? And here are the disciples who Jesus just just told them that that he has to go to Jerusalem to die and be raised and and they don't understand it. And here's Bartimaeus in the dirt begging for the Lord to save him. Here are the disciples in their ignorance. And here is a blind man with faith who can't stop praying and can't stop hoping and can't stop crying out to Jesus that He would come and save him. And He does. Jesus stops and turns aside to Bartimaeus and asks him what he wants. Lord, that I would have my sight. And then with a word, Jesus gives him his eyesight back. And then He says these remarkable words. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. Now, I think that if, if I were one of the disciples there, at this point I would have said, now, wait a minute, Jesus. His faith didn't do anything at all. You, you're the one that saved him. Not his faith. You're the one that spoke the word. You're the one that gave him his sight. You're the one that rescued him. And yet you say his faith saved him? Why? Jesus is always saying this. Your faith has saved you. But why? What does this mean? Imagine it like this. It's your first day on of a new job. You're working the mailroom of some sort of huge corporation and you're down in the basement. Minimum wage, but you're glad to have it. And you go home after your first difficult day of work and there's a check in your own mailbox for $100,000 from this new company that you're working for. And there's not a word with it. Just a check. Not a letter. 
Not a single thing of explanation. Now, you think at first that you're going to be happy about this, but the more you think about it, you're not quite sure. Because you don't know what this is for. Maybe, and probably, they made a mistake, so you think. You dare not cash it and spend it. You're going to go in the next day and make sure. Maybe they're paying you five years uh, ahead of time, and now you have to work and pay it back, or something like this. In other words, because you don't know what it's there for, and because you know you haven't earned it, you're nervous about it. You're afraid of it. You dare not spend it. But the next day you go into work. And the owner of the company comes and he, he comes along and he puts his arm around you and he says, do you get that check yesterday? Do you like it? It's a gift. I know you didn't deserve it. And you don't need to pay it back. It's not because of your works. It's a free gift. Believe it. This is what Jesus is doing to blind Bartimaeus when he says, your faith has healed you. He's saying to him, I know you haven't deserved this. Quite the opposite. And I know that you'll never be able to pay me back, but it's yours by faith. And now you can cash the check and now you can spend it. And now you'll have fun going to work too, I suppose. (laughs) This is the comfort that Jesus is giving us. That when we have His gifts by faith, We know that we don't have them by our works. And this is the point of it all. Jesus knows that you can't save yourself. But do you know it? Because while Jesus is always giving His his promises to believe by faith, we're always trying to cling to our own works, to our own deserving. Our works are sneaking in one way or the other. Most people are on some sort of self-salvation plan. And and most of these plans involve convincing yourself that you're a pretty good person. Or there's the Christian self-salvation plan. You get busy doing enough good works to convince God that you're good enough, or at least to convince the person sitting next to you on the pew that you're good enough. The worst kind of self-salvation plan is this thought that Jesus gave you a salvation loan and now you've got to pay it back. This is simply horrible, but this preaching I hear all the time, it it goes like this. Jesus died for you, now what will you do for Him? As if God's free gift of salvation was instead a bribe to coax out of you good works. This is just horrible. But what about us? What about you? Jesus knows that you cannot save yourself. By faith, we know that as well. When Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to Jerusalem, and he tells Bartimaeus that his faith has saved him, he teaches us that the only way to be saved, the only way to salvation, is by faith in his death and his resurrection. No amount of effort can accomplish it. Every good work ever done, let's just take them and put them on a huge silver platter and serve them up before the Lord's face, and it's just a stink bomb. It's still hell to pay. We sing it like this. Could your zeal, no respite, no. Could your tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. And that's what Jesus is doing. 
In this thing that looks like foolishness to the Greek, that's a stumbling block to the Jew, that's an astonishment to the world, that's what Jesus is doing. When he turns his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, to go to his, to his trial, to his mockery, to his cross and to his grave, that's what Jesus is doing. When the darkness covers the face of the earth so that no one can even see themselves, And Jesus is crying out as he dangles from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus is doing. He's saving you. You who cannot save yourself. He's dying for you and rescuing you. You who could not rescue yourself. He's winning for you the Father's favor, a place in heaven, the the smile of God Himself, and the words, well done. He's making a place for you in eternal life. And cashing in all of His promises. That's what Jesus is doing. Because He knows that you cannot save yourself. He will save you. And He has. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. This is what we pray every day. And the Lord answers that prayer and gives us Himself and His life. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.